You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. say hello once again to the great John Anik, a very busy man. He will, of course, be on the call for UFC 295 at the Mecca back in Madison Square Garden. Two world title fights, both very interesting title fights in their own ways, but not the top of the the fight bill we were expecting. We'll get into that more with the play-by-play voice of the UFC and a magical mustache as well. John, how are you? (laughs) That mustache is incredible. Happy Halloween, Mike. I'm having inside desires to bring the mustache back for the first time in several years. No, I'm going as Luigi tonight for Halloween. My five-year-old son is going to be Mario and uh, we're just going to attack Boca Raton, Florida tonight. Mustache will probably not be there for UFC 295, but you just never know. You never know. You're a mystery, John. You're always a mystery. And we'll get into that card. Of course, the changes, November 11th, all of that. But first, John, let's go backwards a little bit. That is a Makachev guy. He's pretty good at this fist fighting thing, is he not? What a performance against Alexander Volkanovsky less than two weeks ago as we speak to cap off UFC 294. And I know there's a lot of talk about the short notice and all of that, a lot of questions about what could Makachev possibly gain coming out of this rematch with Volkanovsky. And to me, he gained a lot from this win. He's the consensus MMA fighting number one pound for pound fighter after this performance. What did you make of Islam showing and and being able to put a lot of the questions about the first fight with Volkanovsky behind him? Well, part of the downside for Islam Akashev as the champion in accepting this fight on short notice is that almost no matter how you win, people still can lay the foundation for a third meeting between you and Alexander Volkanovsky because this one was accepted on short notice and Volkanovsky really was not in shape at 181 pounds. And perhaps that was a wayward decision by Volk to accept this fight. I think his wife and his daughters and his bank account would uh, respectfully disagree with that sentiment. But Islam Akashev is the man, right? That's what came out of my mouth when I punctuated the call, right? And still, and with style points, Islam Akashev is the man, right? I never plan what I'm going to say. That dude's the fucking man. He was the pound for pound king going in. He is the pound for pound king going out. I think the style points certainly are useful for Islam Akashev, but uh, I think when all is said and done, historically, his lightweight resume is going to hold up with anyone else's. And I can argue now with you today that his win over Alexander Volkanovsky, two of them 
is probably the biggest singular win that either he or Khabib Nurmagomedov has. Now, Khabib certainly has some scalps, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, credentialed lightweights. But in terms of all-time greatness, I think a lot of people would put Alexander Volkanovsky above those guys, and Islam Akashev has beat him twice. And uh, yeah, dude, I could go on and on about Islam Akashev, right? Like, accepting that fight in Australia as his first title defense, and then accepting this fight as his second title defense, and you know, doubters going to say what they want to say. Oh, he still hasn't de- defended against a true lightweight, but uh, there's no doubting Islam Akashev. I'm very happy for him and the coaches and everybody else. Yeah, now it's either Oliveira or Gaethje, and can't complain about either of those options. I mean, Oliveira earned this rematch with Benil Dar after the Benil Dariush win, and it's unfortunate with the cut and everything. Justin Gaethje's right there too, and there's no wrong way to eat these Reese's on this Halloween, John. Either way, I'm I'm good with both of these guys. Yeah, both can lay claim to a title fight. If I was Justin Gaethje's advisor, I would say just lay back and chill and wait for that undisputed championship opportunity, which you have so earned, right? You go out and do that to Dustin Poirier in that setting with respect to Max Holloway and everybody else. Justin Gaethje needs to bide his time. But Charles Oliveira is the rightful number one contender. The manner in which he ended Benil Daryush's winning streak makes him impossible to deny. And I think as a former champion and decorated at that, he deserves to get the benefit of the doubt. I I feel like he didn't get the benefit of the doubt. Charles did not in terms of the court of public opinion, right? Like some scar tissue maybe has built up over his historically unbelievable UFC career, right? And things can happen in training, especially close to the fight. And uh, it is what it is. So yeah, Charles won, Justin won a, and uh, good problems to have at 155 pounds. I think the fortunate thing is that Islam is going to get back on the horse and, uh, and defend. He's just a big lightweight, so he can't, you know, make the weight every six weeks, but hopefully we see Islam Akashev in defense first quarter, 2024. And of course we got the return of Hamza Chemaev after a year away, more short notice shakeups. He's supposed to fight Paulo Costa. We saw the nasty elbow infection for Borashini. That was just, I, I can't get it out of my brain, but in steps Kamar Usman on short notice. And boy, he gave good old Hamza a hell of a fight. Didn't he? That was that was crazy, man. You watch the first round, and Hamza Chimaev looks like the greatest fighter we've ever seen. For yeah. five minutes, no one has ever done that to Kamar Usman. Usman finds a way to get it done in the round two, makes this fight really interesting. And then when Hamza needed to dig deep, gets the takedown and seals the win, a lot of people thought it was a draw, but crazy fight, man. What did you think of Shemaev's performance? And we, In hindsight, we know about the hand and all that stuff, but it was a crazy fight. Well, in your answer lies part of the rub. When he had to dig deep late in the fight, he was able to do so. Perhaps I have been overstating him as this cardio king. And I still think it's going to be interesting to see him get extended and fight over 25 minutes. I think in totality, he has earned a championship opportunity. It's a little bit clunky in terms of welterweight and middleweight. But Kamzat Shimaev is an absolute force, right? As somebody who humbly sits in that chair and calls the biggest fights in the world, there's just something something undeniably special about his presence, about the way he fights, about the way he trains. But if you're not getting you know, worse, you're getting better. And if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And I think he will absolutely make use of these 15 minutes in terms of how he can improve his cardiovascular base. I think he deserves credit for fighting through the injury, fighting the late replacement, Kamar Usman. Obviously, there's plenty of credit to go around for Kamar, who I think was in probably better shape than Volkanovsky to accept this type of fight. But I think the best is yet to come for Hamza Chimaev. I think these are valuable 
minutes that he's accruing. I I do believe a lot of these middleweights are going to outsize him. And I think that's really going to be interesting, right? Thinking about somebody like Paulo Costa in there, just wearing on Hamzat Shimaev potentially. But uh, man, this sport is really exciting when Shimaev's in an active competition cycle. And hopefully this win over Kamar Usman is a precursor to just that. Do you feel like Hamzat is judged differently than any other fighter we've ever seen? Because even with Connor, there was always like questions, right? Like, you know, what, what happens when he fights a wrestler or this or that? Like he was judged in a, in a different kind of way because he was such a big star. But if Hamza doesn't just murk somebody in three minutes, yeah. oh, he stinks. He's not that good. He's overrated. Like, I don't remember another fighter being judged the way Hamza Shemaev is. Can you think of anybody else that you can compare it to? No, I mean, certainly Patty Pimblett was underwhelming against Jared Gordon, but I certainly wouldn't compare him to Hamzat in terms of the overall potential, right? Even Shavkat Rachmanov against Jeff Neal, right? I mean, the betting line suggests that he's supposed to go out there and murk a guy who's in the top 10, right? And he didn't necessarily do that. But I could really, in a short-winded way, just say to you that Hamzat Shimaev is a victim of expectation, and he created that expectation, and pressure's a privilege, right? I mean, people say that to me all the time, right, as I'm getting ready for these pay-per-views. You know, pressure's a privilege. And I think for Hamzat, it is certainly that. I think his show money probably respects, reflects that. So uh, I don't know, man. I think it's really going to be interesting to see him against somebody like Sean Strickland, because even that guy... And I know you know Sean Strickland intimately. Uh, figures to dwarf Hamzat size-wise. I could be wrong. You know, I'm around these guys. I mean, Hamzat was cutting weight next to me on the morning in uh, in Abu Dhabi, and he was running backwards on the treadmill. The guy's an absolute force. But I was a little bit surprised to see him not just have cardio for days. I'm not asking him to be my Rob Dwalish Willie. But uh, I do think there's uh, there's there's room for growth for, for Hamzat in the cardio department, and I'm not sure that I thought there was going in. Yeah, no one is Marab, so that, yeah, no one can do that. I got to ask you about Francis, man. John Anik, the man who left the UFC as champion, he wanted to go box some big names, wasn't given, to be fair, the royal exit, so to speak. He gets this fight with Tyson Fury. Nobody really giving him a chance. Community was certainly happy. He got a big bag of money. Yeah. A lot of the fans thought he fumbled, and then he goes out there. Not only is he competitive with Tyson Fury, he knocks down the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. And by pride rules, John, I scored it for Fury both times I watched it, but that doesn't yeah. even matter. The, the scoring doesn't even matter. Francis won by pride rules. This is a great result, all things considered, because we still get the undisputed heavyweight title fight. Francis looks like he won the fight, even though he didn't. And now the opportunities are immense for him. I know you watched it. What was going through your mind as this all played out? When he knocked Tyson Fury on his ass, what were you thinking? I was going crazy. I was disrupting children and everything that was going on in the household. It was very exciting. And obviously it was at a time that was uh, cool for us on the East coast of the United States to be able to watch it. I'm so happy for Francis Ngannou. It's a very sad day for me uh, as a voice of the UFC when he left the promotion, because I was just very excited to see and call the Francis Ngannou era. The guy's life is a major motion picture. As I've said repeatedly on our UFC telecast, right? The average citizen in Batik, Cameroon makes $1,300 a year on average, right? What he was able to come out of to become the baddest man on the planet by consensus is nothing short of unheard of, extraordinary. He's an outstanding athlete. And I think lost in a lot of the, the big nature of what happened this weekend is that the desire for Francis Ngannou to be great 
and the discipline and the work ethic finally caught up to the physical gifts. You know, there was a time in his UFC career where that wasn't necessarily omnipresent, but I'm just so happy for this individual and his team because they bet on Francis. They should have bet on Francis Ngannou and they reap the benefits. As far as the fight itself is concerned, not unlike Islam Akashev and Alexander Volkanovsky, First fight close, even though I thought Islam won four rounds, right? So now you have a champion, Tyson Fury, who wants the Francis Ngannou fight back, even though he won it, right? And I would think that would be the inner monologue for Tyson Fury. Fury deserves credit for accepting this Ngannou fight and giving Francis the opportunity. But does this not lay the foundation for an immediate rematch and hopefully a $25 million payday for Francis Ngannou? I would agree with you in terms of scoring the fight. A lot of people are questioning my round 10 score for for Tyson Fury. So I got to go back and watch the last round. I didn't think either athlete did much in rounds 9 and 10. But after round 7 and 8, the fight was there for the taking for Francis Ngannou. And I'm not sure that he took it, you know, by the testicles in rounds 9 and 10. But uh I don't know that we should be all that surprised that he realized success. Like I asked Kenny on our show, Michael, why are we surprised that he had success here? I asked the analysts of the world, is it that he was more defensively responsible and sound than you expected him to be? And for Kenny, yeah, a lot of it was rooted in just how sound he was and how well he saw whatever shots were coming his way. Fury realized some success with the jab, but uh, just so happy for Francis Ngannou and Eric Nixick and Dewey Cooper and Markel Martin and everybody else. And, uh, you know, hopefully... There's a world in which this man competes in mixed martial arts again, because uh, right now my appetite is actually more to see him in boxing, to see how far he can take that, uh, to see him right now in MMA. 100%. Because there's no there's no MMA fight right now that makes any sense for Fran Saganu, except for John Jones. And I know they're in two different promotions. And there is a, a world if everyone just got in a room and put their egos aside and just said, look, let's just make the biggest friggin' fight we could possibly make. Like, there's nothing stopping this fight from being made. But other than that, like, I don't want to see France Ngannou beat whoever, like, fight whoever wins the PFL million dollars. Like, I have zero interest in that. What I am interested in is watching Francis fight Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua or even Deontay in, like, a mixed rules match, which is being discussed apparently. Like, the world is his oyster right now. But it just – the one negative I took from this is, like, man, Ngannou Jones is now a 1,000 times bigger than it was seven months ago. It is certainly that. And as a former boxing radio journalist, I would also submit to you that uh, mixed martial arts is just a great sport with so much to offer that boxing just does not offer. And having said that, I still want to see Ngannou extract this for all he can. Like Francis Ngannou versus Deontay Wilder, bro. Are you serious? <laughs> it's crazy. In a boxing setting. Forget, you know, the MMA thing. I'm not all that interested in that. Very interested in seeing my man Kenny Florian on any PFL call. But Yeah, I would agree with you. My appetite for him to fight some PFL heavyweights is not strong. So, yeah, I don't think the stars are going to align for a fight against John Jones. But, uh, you know, whether the UFC cuts my check or not, I would submit to you our heavyweight division uh, isn't fine. Fettel without him. Beautifully worded. Uh, Speaking of John Jones, he will not be fighting in Madison Square Garden. The nasty pec injury out upwards of eight months. Fight with Stipe Miocic off at least for now and i you know it's weird when this news was dropped like you were one of the first people i thought of because when you spoke about to me about john coming back you talked about the mojo that he brings to a fight week he's just one of those guys that he could be gone for three months or three years when he shows a fight week and you sit down with him or see him he just exudes greatness and you can't ignore it and then there's stipe in play with the best heavyweight resume in ufc history 
Historic matchup no longer happening. When you found out that it was off, what was your reaction to the news? Not surprised with respect, right? I thought it was ambitious to suggest that John Jones, after that type of extended layoff, would compete at UFC 285 in March and then be able to turn it around again in early November. I just thought it was ambitious with respect. You know how seriously John Jones takes all of these championship fights. No man nor woman has won as many title fights as John Jones, and that really is the only biggest record that actually matters. But I have to wonder aloud, was this injury preventable, right? Had he been in the gym for every minute that he possibly could be dating to that past title defense. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that that's the right recipe for success either, right? But I'm not surprised that this fight did not necessarily materialize. You know, it's certainly disappointing. Uh, This is our hardest ticket annually at Madison Square Garden. So uh, I still think it's going to just be a rabid audience. And uh, I don't think a lot of people are are selling their tickets because we lost this fight. But uh, I do hope that they can make this fight and rather expeditiously inside of 10 months because it is a little bit muddy now with a UFC interim heavyweight champion set to be crowned here in the not too distant future. Um, But I have to say it. I know we're going to get to Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich, right? I mean, is that not just a massive, massive heavyweight fight in 2023, right? You can't help but just smile. As an MMA fan, you know, like, you know, that fight is absolutely enormous. And without any buildup, the intrigue is just through the roof on that one for me. I thought that fight should have been on this card anyways. It's kind of just like a, just in case something weird happens, we could just bump it right up and both guys would be ready for it. But look. I, and you mentioned the uh, people bought tickets and they're probably not going to sell them at this point, but I, I know a lot of people. I'll buy are like, them. Oh, yeah. I'll buy them. Well, John will buy them. John will I buy have him. never, not once in my UFC career. And two days ago, I crossed 12 years. Has there been this type of appetitive nature for a ticket? Right. And I can't provide them. Right. I'm turning family members down left and right. My wife's entire family's from up there and I can't take care of any of these people, whether John Jones is on the card or not. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a legacy fight between John Jones and Stipe. And I know I'm getting a little bit animated here, Mike, but Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall, you can argue right now are the two best heavyweights in the world, smack dab in the middle of their primes, primal, ready to kill and defend every three months. So, you know, I do like that there's going to be movement. I love the fact that those guys signed on the dotted line and uh, fascinated to see where the betting line closes and everything else with that fight. I hope I don't sound like a promoter, but I know you feel me on how big that fight is. This is the more competitive fight to me because like no offense to Stipe, but I just kind of felt like John, this is set up for John to like kind of take his place on the throne in in a certain respect. And not that I was ever counting Stipe out of any fight because that would be just dumb for me to do that. But this fight is great. The cachet isn't the same as Jones Miocic. I'm, I'm not that naive, but 12 days notice we lose the original main event. I got to give the UFC a lot of credit here. I, I I can be hard on the UFC from time to time, but for all this to come together like this on 12 days, we could have done a hell of a lot worse here. And I'm honestly, I don't even know what else could have been done realistically that they could have done better than this matchup between Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall. I love it. The one downfall is that it's on 12 days notice, but yeah. Aspinall <clears throat> seems like Volk, like ready to go. Like I'm going to go in right. there and beat this dude. I love it. And understanding 
that Tommy Aspinall is on the cusp of a UFC heavyweight world championship. So probably thinking it's a good idea to be in some semblance of shape before the heavyweight championship is on the line. Because if Stipe was the one who was out and John Jones was to remain on the card, who knows if they would have plucked Sergey Pavlovich or Tom Aspinall, even though Pavlovich was the backup. Real quick, Curtis Razor Blades deserves credit here, right? Has more UFC wins combined than Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich. Accepted fights with both of those guys one and one against them also accepted a fight against the third boogeyman in the UFC's heavyweight division Jailton Almeida who pulled out of course this weekend I'm just saying Curtis Blades has headlined seven times for the UFC never had a championship opportunity I'm not here to state his case right but I give him credit right because there is not a long line of people who want to fight Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall right now 12 and one I think combined in the UFC they put away everybody that has been put in front of them essentially Gosh, I can't wait for that fight. And uh, I do think the UFC will be able to unmuddy the muddy water when it comes to the championship and the pecking order and all of that. No pun intended on the pecking order. Hopefully, John Jones gets health- healthy with the uh, the pectoral. But uh, like, do you think we see John Jones before International Fight Week 2024? I sure as fuck don't. If he can't fight at UFC 300, and that would be really optimistic, then you got to put him on International Fight Week. It doesn't make sense to have him in June or May. Like, it's either April for 300 or it's international fight week. This is the only, if we're, we're going to blow it up. If we're going to do it. We got to do it big. So if it's not MSG or not 300, it's got to be international fight week. So yeah. I'm with you on that. And Let's I see. do think it's probably, it sounds like a retiring bout for, for Stipe and John, but I know Dana White has publicly expressed hope, <clears throat> hope that one of them would defend because, uh, That'd be damn exciting to see the next breed of heavyweight take on John Jones or Stipe on their respective way out. We get this great fight, but now, John, new main event for the vacant light heavyweight title, Yuri Prohashka versus Alex Pereira. The stakes added to it are obviously great with the belt, but these two guys in a cage fighting each other at Madison Square Garden, this is freaking magic, John. There is no other fight, and then included John Jones versus Stipe. I I, I am not... There's no other fight that I'm more excited for than this one. And now it's the main event. So Mick Maynard was so excited at the possibility of really just matchmaking, I think, Yuri Prohaska against anyone, but Yuri Prohaska against Jamal Hill before Alex Pereira was even in the light heavyweight division. You know, sometimes I look forward to the time that I retire and I can just be a professional fan. And Rogan calls us professional fans because <clears throat> when I sit here and wax poetic about a matchup between Alex Pereira and Yuri Prohaska, I hope people don't suggest that it's because the promotion cuts my check. Like, can we put a better fight together on paper if I put it back on you? How explosive is the potential for that light heavyweight championship fight? Now, under four and a half rounds would seem like a pretty good bet for me. If this fight goes 25 minutes, the epic nature of it could just be historic. So I'm very excited to see these guys obviously match their skills, particularly on the feet. Uh, But there's no doubt that Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pereira, they both just have an appetite for training and for grappling and for the clinch and getting better and cardio and they're true martial artists. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great showcase for the light heavyweight division. And uh, hopefully we get some clarity. It's been a weird 24 months for the, uh, the 205 pound division. For sure. And it, it obviously be good to, to see Yuri back in there. He got to the title very quickly in the UFC. John, if Alex Pereira wins this fight, in just 11 pro fights as an MMA fighter, obviously we've got the kickboxing pedigree, but this is totally different. He will become a two-division UFC champion in just 11 professional mixed martial arts bout and can do this in the same building where he won the middleweight title against Israel Adesanya a year ago. 
I, he has broken the rankings. He's broken pound for pound already when it comes to those kinds of rankings. Where would this rank amongst just feats of accomplishment that you have seen in the sport? Because in all of the parameters in which we judge these things, this makes absolutely no sense to me that this is a possibility. When you talk about combat sports legends and crossover, Kayla Harrison, Henry Cejudo, certainly Israel Adesanya, Daniel Cormier representing the United States Olympically, Alex Pereira would be a combat sports legend, bona fide. Like Kenny Florian went on the Anakin Florian podcast this past Monday and said Francis Ngannou is now a combat sports legend, and he lost his fight this past weekend. I think Ken Flo's right. Francis Ngannou crossed the threshold this past weekend with how competitive he was against the historically great Tyson Fury. Francis Ngannou is a combat sports legend, right? And some people would probably not say he's there yet. If Alex Pereira, you know, becomes a two-division UFC <laughs> champion, does it not speak to the, the mixed martial arts appetite, right? The appetite for knowledge, Glover Teixeira, certainly a key cog in all of that. But uh, I wouldn't put it past Pereira. He's just a great dude, right? I mean, I could harken back to our fighter meetings, right? Two guys who, and I could include Alexander Volkanovsky as well, right? But Israel Adesanya, Alex Pereira, on time and in attendance for every single fighter meeting, despite how high profile they are, despite how maybe hard it was for Alex Pereira to get down to 185 pounds, right? I think the world of, of Poetan and uh, wouldn't be at all surprised to see him uh, get the job done. But what a fight, man. What a fucking fight. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. We get Andrade Dern. Did I see Diego Lopez? What what a year that man has had. Player coach extraordinaire fighting Pat Septini in the main card. Mafravola versus Benoit Santini, John Anik. Just light me up, light me up with that one because that fight friggin' rules. That is, if there, I don't know if there's a better appetizer for a pay per view than that one, yeah, except so, for maybe Gaethje and Ch didn't didn't they open up a Gaethje Chandler or something? Yes, yeah, yes, that was the opener. So yeah. besides, this is a good silver medalist. Yeah, I love Diego Lopez and his star potential. Pat Sabatini, obviously a credentialed guy, but really excited to see what uh, what Diego Lopez can do with the showcase. But Benoit, <laughs> seek and destroy Saint-Denis. I'm trying to get the nickname to stick. You can throw it on the front end too, Buff, if you're so inclined. Just make sure you get the pronunciation right on the back end. Benoit, seek and destroy Saint-Denis. Now, Matt, the steamroller for Vol is going to be on the Anakin Florian podcast next week. He's like family, obviously, with Ray Longo and everybody else. But, dude, Benoit Saint-Denis, man, like essentially a Navy SEAL in France. Who could forget his short-notice UFC debut against Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos, perhaps – you know, as close as we've come to seeing a fatality in recent UFC memory, right? I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but this is one of the toughest customers versed in every possible mixed martial art. And he's got the ticker to go with it. I'm such a huge fan of Benoit Saint-Denis and you got to give Frivola a lot of credit for accepting a fight again as the ranked party in which he will be the underdog, right? Matt Frivola has made a career of beating guys that the betting Public and odds makers suggest that he won't beat. So uh, it's an explosive fight. It's bulletproof matchmaking. And uh, all I can suggest to you is that there are plenty of people who are turning down Benoit Saint-Denis. And uh, I would turn him down to seek and destroy. Yeah, he's he's a monster. Uh, last thing before I let you go, John, you're a very busy man. But uh, I saw some big news on the social media world. New website, johnannick.com. Is that Dude. I, 
Tremendous. My my twin brother's wife, my sister-in-law, she created the whole thing. She launches it on Monday. And then the Tuesday, the next day, she goes into emergency surgery, almost lost her life, 32 inches of her small intestine removed. So I love my sister-in-law. I'm so thankful she's still with us, but it was an absolutely crazy week. And um, thankfully, you know, the Anakin Florian podcast listeners have come out and, uh, you know, respected her efforts by buying merchandise at johnanik.com. But yes, very excited to have a hub and a home base uh, for our podcast merchandise. And uh, it was a scary week in Abu Dhabi. And uh, I think sort of every time I think about this launch for the rest of my life, I'm going to think about that total chaos that uh, our family went through. But yes, we're very excited. And uh, shout out to Joe Romero, our artist. We have six new designs, all of which can be had right now at johnanik.com. And uh, we appreciate everybody supporting the show and supporting this guy, Mike Heck, at MMAfighting.com as well. Well, one more sleep has become synonymous with the sport. And uh, you can get your one more sleep shirts at johnanik.com and all the other gear. I assume the shirt you're wearing can be purchased on the site as well. Select your fighter. (laughs) The only thing you can't really do is get one of those hair treatments that seem to be all the rage. johnanik.com does not have those. And, you know, you're a handsome guy. I just hope that you never decide to, uh, to go with hair plugs. I think you look great. Nah, I'm like my dad. Uh, My three brothers all have full heads of hair. My dad, maybe I told one too many bald jokes. Yeah. I got I, I got hit with the baldness, but you know what? I've just accepted it. It is what it is. And uh, I've saved thousands upon thousands of dollars on haircuts over the last six or seven years. Just bick it down. I spend maybe $30 a year on razors. This is the best, John. Shaving the head's the way to go. Well, I've been doing it since I was 14 years of age. I get my back waxed, right? I got YouTube commenters <laughs> being like, Anik, it's finally not a choice. Your hair's gone. Ladies and gentlemen, I assure you, I mean, I would have the biggest Jewish Afro you've ever seen within five days. That's why as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go lather this thing up and shave it off. Well, there you go. I don't have, mine's just gone. But John, enjoy the lathering. Enjoy uh, ah. the build to the fight. And uh, UFC 295, excited to hear your voice for this big card, my man. Appreciate the time as always. Thank you, buddy. Good to catch up. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all in one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash Flagship. This is a paid advertisement.